Hi everyone, this is Samantha and you're listening to the Layman's Doctor podcast where we're bringing medicine home. And today I have a fairly exciting episode for you for the medical students, the physicians, the doctors who are looking for specializations here in Jamaica. You've come to the right place because that's what we're going to talk about today. I've previously spoken about ENT and obstetrics and gynecology, and you guys can expect way more conversations about local programs and specializations that we offer here in Jamaica, and I suppose throughout the Caribbean at other UEs where relevant. So I was on Instagram the other day and I saw that my batchmate, um, Dr. Yannick Weeks, right? I had to pause a little bit because I was like, I have not called Yannick. And I feel like I said Yannick. I haven't called Yannick by his last name in a hot minute, right? <laughs> so, so let me say that part over and Yannick can tell me if I said it wrong. But anyways. I have Dr. Yannick Weeks here because I was going through Instagram and he posted himself in like a graduation gown and said, you know, huge update earlier this year. I finished my specialization in sports medicine. And I'm just like, wait, we have sports medicine here in Jamaica. <laughs> so I immediately messaged him and said, congrats, you know, I'd love to talk to you on my podcast about this so that more persons can be aware of this program. And he very quickly and happily agreed. And now here we are. So I'm going to ask him to introduce himself for us. And then we'll jump right into the conversation. And for you guys, just to see how you can join this degree and his experience with it. Yannick? Hi. So my name is Yannick. Um, and I guess if we're just going to go into the linguistics, Originally, the name is, or traditionally, the name is pronounced Yannick. But I guess how things end up when it comes to English-speaking places, it's turned to Yannick. So I respond to both Yannick and Yannick. So yeah, very, very interestingly enough, because Yannick with the Q-U-E is very Jamaican. And I didn't know mm-hmm. that. So I'm Trinidadian, for those who don't know. And I came to Jamaica to, to do my MBBS. And I end up staying and doing some specialization. And then I have returned back home to Trinidad. But when I was in Jamaica, um, because of the QUE Yannick, I've never seen that anywhere else. A lot of people always used to call me Miss when they see my name and writing before they've actually seen me. So they always thought I was a female. Even so, yes. when I had to get an official letter from the university, like a like a status letter, they had their Miss Weeks, Miss Yannick Weeks. I just find that was funny. But yeah. I've never seen it spelled N-I-C-K. I've seen like Y-A-N-E-E-K, but I've never seen it like Yan and Nick. But I'm like, if it's Yannick, if it's spelled with a Nick, why would you pronounce it Yannick? You know, like... (laughs) (laughs) Anyways we're moving away we're yeah, moving on so sports medicine sports medicine is an area of specialty that is relatively new it's probably only been around or only be formally recognized um by the medicine fraternity 
I would say in the late 80s, early 90s in the American system and in the British system, it's probably been there from as early as the 70s, right? In terms of Jamaica, Jamaica has kind of been the pioneer in terms of having a sports medicine system. Um, and it's been around a lot, a lot longer than people think. Um, it used to be under the Faculty of Medical Sciences, um, but it recently got changed to the Faculty of Sport uh, when UWE decided to introduce um, a new faculty. But it's the same program, um, and the faculty is headed by Dr. Van Singh, who is an orthopedic surgeon, and then he did some specialization in sports medicine in, I think, in, I think it's Australia that he did it in. Um, I could be wrong with that. But the program is, is a two-year program. Eligibility criteria on paper, online, says that you need to be a graduate of a medical degree, and then you need to have two years of experience. Um, and that's it. It's a self-paying program. So it's not like the DM program where you need to have a post, right? It's one of those self-paying programs similar to like a master's in public health and the pharmacy medicine program is also a self-paying program, right? It's not a post-related program. That's interesting. So I didn't know that we had a sports medicine program here in Jamaica. Um, in fact, I know one person who did sports medicine, but they went abroad to do it. Actually, they went to the UK. And I do have a question. Mm-hmm. So in your graduation picture, you sure. had on a blue gown versus a red gown. <laughs> right. Is there like a reason why? Like, is it, yeah. It's just simple. That's just how you is. So the sports medicine program is a, is a master's. The red gown is meant for any doctorate programs. So oh. a PhD, a doctor of medicine, a doctor of business administration, a doctor of public health. Um, so all of those doctorate programs. So does that mean there's a doctorate for sports medicine? There's no doctorate of sports medicine. That's Okay, those are just other people in your picture. Yeah, that's the be all, be all end all of, of sports medicine. You could go ahead and do a PhD in like kinesiology or something like mm-hmm. that. But that's, that's not from a solely medical background. Interestingly okay. enough, there's also... Uh, uh, sports and exercise me- uh, medicine program right, as well for physiotherapists sports as well. and exercise okay so sports and sports. exercise it's a physiotherapy um only program and it's okay. the same two years but they do their program is very much different um and very much more hands-on in certain aspects mm. so i'll tell you how i encountered it and then I'll go through a little bit about the program and then you could probably ask me any other questions right yeah but before we start um I do want to ask you said on paper the application is just having a medical degree having two years of experience but did you need references so like any postgraduate programs you have to do at UWE you have to a part of the application process is to give two recommendations. And recommendations usually has to be um, professional recommendations and not personal recommendations. So you you have to get it. Um, 
but that's not very specific to sports medicine, but it's specific to UE. Okay. So you need references. Um, I'm not sure how much you said. I think it's like two references, just like all master's programs there. You have to finish med school and you have to have two years of experience. Is there anything else? Right. So besides having the two years experience, you need to also have a, a copy of your registration license for practice. Right. Um, and the, you need to also have your transcripts from your academic institution, right? And then you need to complete the form online. And that makes up the, the set eligibility criteria. Okay, so those are the eligibility criteria. We've gotten that all to the way. I'm eager to hear the story of how you encountered sports medicine, how you stumbled across it. So I stumbled across it during COVID and I, myself had a bout of COVID. So I was in quarantine for two weeks, couldn't leave my apartment at all. And I guess me just being me and being on the internet, I said, let me start to look up different types of specializations that I could do that is not a DM. And I encountered sports medicine being one, I came across public health, I came across audiology, as one and about two or three others that I came across um, health management, but that's more on the management side. But I wanted like hands-on things that I could have done, um, aesthetic medicine masters, masters in dermatology, which up to 2023, if you enter, you don't you just need to do a master's to be a dermatologist in the, in the region. Uh, you don't need to do a residency program. So I kind of settled on sports medicine because I wanted to do um and I still want to do orthopedics. Right? Orthopedics is one of the one of the things that I've I've, I've liked. And I said it kind of goes hand in hand. Um, and interestingly enough, while talking to my friend and telling him about the program, he said there's another person who was also a bashmate of ours, Maurice, um, Dr. Fisher, who was currently in the program. Right, because he already signed up at that point in time. When I was going through all of this, it would have been in October, so the semester had already started. Quickly messaged Maurice, and he said, "Yes, we already started. We already got like one quiz and everything." And uh, um, I asked if I could get put on the program lead, and he did. And I asked if it was too late to start. And she spoke to whoever the head of the department was, whoever she had to speak to. And she said, apply. So I applied like in within one or two days. And in two or three days after that, I was a graduate student. That's the one thing I love about you, you know, for all the things that you would get. I have found that for their master degree programs, they're fairly flexible and um, very responsive, I think the word is as well, right? Having interacted with them a few times. So that's actually really cool that, like, you know, it's October, the semester started. I mean, I think it's like you're, what, one month behind at this point? Correct. But you you showed interest. And I think that's, I think in medicine in general, that's something that is a common theme, that showing interest and showing desire is going to take you a pretty far away 
you showed interest, you reached out to the team, you didn't say, oh, the semester already started, let me try next year. You're like, no, I'm going to go for this. And look at you, two years later, I mean, technically, you didn't even have to, I guess that's why you said on paper, you need to have the two years experience. Correct, because I was a graduate of 2020, right? Mm-hmm. And Maurice was a graduate of 2019, so he would have been just one year behind. So yeah. he told me they accepted him, so just apply. So when exactly. I applied, they didn't really ask me about anything, and they took me in. <laughs> um, however, I don't know if if it's because it was during COVID and they had a smaller amount of people, because my feel only had about a cohort was only about five of us. Um, I know usually it's a little more, um, but I know afterwards, like I had a couple of people who I was mentoring to try to enter the program and they just finished MBBS. They're interns now and they applied and both of them were rejected. So I'm not too sure if it was an eligibility criteria or not, um, but I put them onto the program lead and I think they, I think they got sorted out. So I would say... Yeah, okay. all I'm hearing from this is to just, if you want it, go for it Correct. and then reach out to the program lead. Because yeah. I, I, I don't know, I found that they're fairly responsive. Um, I think they want people who are interested in their program and, you know, it looks like there might be some willingness to be flexible. And I mean, this is, I don't think this is just a UE thing. You will often find for, you know, courses too, if you apply, you may not meet every single criteria, but that's not a, that's not a reason to not apply. Wow. I feel like the ding from my toaster oven just came into the podcast. (laughs) But yeah, so you applied. So what is the structure of the program like? Or you started a month behind. Did you feel disadvantaged in any way, shape or form with that? Um, At first, but um, it's a... 12 week semester so you have time to catch up how how the program runs it's uh it's mostly online for the entire program right it's six semesters each year has three semesters the first two semesters have two courses each so that's four courses the last semester is a practical semester and there is two courses as well but one of them is uh, like an introduction to your research. You start your research proposal within the first semester so you could meet ethics in time. So you could start your actual research in your second semester. Second semester, again, it's six courses. Um, one of them being a practicum and the next one being the write-up of your proposal. So in terms of the actual courses that we do, first semester one, it's usually exercise physiology that we do. And we also do um, upper body injuries, right? And the second semester, we go through sports science is the name of the course, but I will sit down and tell you what exactly that is just now. I'm trying to find the actual course outline as I say all this, but lower body injuries. In year two, semester one, we go through nutrition, we go through some biomechanics, 
and then we also go through some actual physiology when it comes to to sports so persons who are um cyclists tennis players and it kind of just marries the biomechanics together with the physiology right and in the second semester you do a lot of uh, psychology and pharmacology and that's where you, you get your formal introduction to all of the banned substances and who and what is allowed when you're allowed to do certain substances um, because even though there are a list of banned substances right there are no drug is really banned if it is needed right they can get a therapeutic exemption um, so that is your formal introduction to that and then you also do some some applied sports medicine as well and you tend to go through a lot of ECGs, EKGs, and you can get some hands-on echocardiograms if you push and go to the sports medicine clinic. And then there's the practicum. So the practicums, both year one and year two, it's usually about two to two and a half weeks long. And for the first one, it's married with the physiotherapist. So both the physiotherapist and the sports medicine program and practicums now occur together. In the past, they used to be two separate, but they realized that we could kind of benefit from each other because a lot of doctors don't know physiotherapy and a lot of physiotherapy don't know the depth of knowledge that we know. And they have a lot of different physicians coming through from orthopedic surgeons to internal medicine, physicians, even OBGYN, and we kind of just go through different scenarios. And it culminates usually with uh, a tournament that they may be having, and we try to be there, usually like a two or three day tournament. Um, so for the second one, we went to the World Rugby Tournament, and it just happened to be being hosted by Jamaica. So we were the ones that facilitated the medical staff, but they outsourced like the tent that has the ambulance and all of the medications and stuff that we'll need. But it was a really fulfilling experience doing the practicums. They also make you do some certificates as well, depending on what the tournament is. So for like rugby, um, because it's world rugby that that's having it, in order to be any type of medical practitioner in an official World Rugby Tournament, you need to be licensed by them. So it's a mm -hmm. three-day course, similar to how um, BLS and ATLS is. They have their own rugby course. So I can speak specifically for rugby. So before you jump in, I have a few questions. Before sure. you jump into the rugby one, one, we have a sports medicine clinic here in Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, I kind of just glazed over that. There is a sports medicine clinic. It's looking what to that. Do you, I mean, I think even just listen to this, like, okay, I'm hearing sports medicine. I'm going to say that the courses that you said, I was very surprised at those courses. And I'm, and I'm here thinking, you know, maybe I really don't really know what sports medicine is or what it's actually used for and stuff like that. I mean, like, obviously it's medicine 
you know, for persons who do sports. But when you said you even had a course on psychology, I'm thinking, what? A mm-hmm. psychology course? But I didn't know that we had a clinic. So I'm really interested what happens in the clinic and, you know, why is it or how is it different from maybe even a regular orthopedic clinic or something, you know? Okay. So how I, how I like to explain sports medicine Sports medicine really is non-operative orthopedics, right? So everything in terms of diagnosing and treatment, all the way up to surgery, intervention. We don't do surgery. But in addition to that, because we are usually the primary physician for most athletes, you kind of have to do other stuff to to know the mindset of how athletes are. So they tend to give you, right, give you a little bit of psychology so you can know about leadership, you can understand how the locker room mentality is, you can understand how athletes feel before particular particular events, how they feel having to go through an injury and not having to be there um, with their team, having to be three to six months off. So they, they give you a little bit of psychology with it. They also give you stuff so you can know how to lead or be the lead doctor on a sports team, right? The different things that you'll have to carry, the teacher about time zone difference, how to deal with jet lagging in order to, you know, kind of inform your, your, your athletes, okay, you need to go to sleep at this time if we if it's this time zone that we're dealing. Um, they also teach you how to deal with playing in a bubble, right? Well, that's in COVID times, how to maneuver this kind of new landscape, right? And then very, very specific sports medicine things. So being able to look look out and screen for cardiovascular and respiratory pathologies, the principles of fitness testing, so the different drills that they have to go through, um, the beep testing, the agility testing, so being able to conduct that yourself. Because um, a lot of times, sports medicine physicians tend to be contracted um, by these bigger teams, like Western cricket teams and those kind of stuff. And you're the ones that have to clear these physici- um, these athletes. So you have to clear them with not just their lungs and their heart and their blood work, but you need to be able to test their actual level of fitness and give a proper report of what their fitness is level is at this point in time right so that's what all the course of exercise physiology was about you know detecting abnormal sleep patterns and the effects of um it on the athletes and whatnot right that's actually really cool that's really really cool and i can see why especially persons who for example love sports you know, yeah. would be like, oh, this is a great field. And I can see why it marries so well to orthopedics as well. It marries very well. You know, and just to go through the sports science, because I, I spoke about sports science and I said I was actually looking for the actual manual about it and I, I have found it. But we did a lot of the role of genetics, right, in response to exercise and immunological and hemological effects that it has on athletes. So it's a more biochemistry-based sport, but it kind of helps you understand 
okay, how the athletes are, how exercise affects them, the different body types. Um, so it's a more science-based course, that one. But the sports medicine clinic, sports medicine clinic is located on the physiotherapy floor, right? So I think that's the fourth floor in the med- medical building. The sports medicine clinic itself is, mm-hmm. um, you know, which, say, you know, like on the sixth floor, which by the dean's offices, like those offices, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's on that side, on that floor. So okay. back, back there is about two or three offices um, for physicians to conduct. And we do both pre-participation evaluations for athletes, and we also do post-evaluation analysis, or we do if a, a patient is actually injured to come in. Right. So a, a pre-participation evaluation uh, uses about three things that you have to do. It's a physical examination that has to be done on all joints, all reflexes and most of the time it's it's done by the physiotherapist um then a normal physician general exam um, you have to do an ekg as well if anything happens or anything is abnormal then we will get somebody else involved so um usually dr bollock who works at the ue hospital um he's a, a radiologist he comes and do our um, ultrasounds um, he also has training in echocardiogram, so he comes and do our echoes as well. So they don't formally teach you to be a sonographer in the course, mm-hmm. but you can observe quite a bit for you to kind of know what's happening, but you're not licensed to do it, do them by yourself. You still need to refer to um, a radiologist or a cardiologist to do the echocardiogram. Very similar to like maybe A&E where you Correct. can do ultrasounds, but you're not it's not like what you say necessarily goes. You still have to get a formal ultrasound done correct. after the fact. It's just really to pick up stuff. Correct, correct. So most of all of Jamaican athletes that um, have to go away tend to come to UE Sports Medicine Clinic, to be cleared. Like, I'll say, being there for the two years, nearly every different sporting discipline all the athletes that go into world champs, all the athletes that go to um, Carifta, all of the football athletes, even some of the schools that go away to represent, even some of the Manning Cup people, like JC has a relationship with us, so they come and they do all their physicals and they, they do their rehab and everything at UE Sports Medicine Clinic. So the physiotherapists deal with them and their school pays for it. And I think Kingston College, Kingston College, Casey. Casey, for some events, swimming for sure, they send their athletes to us to be evaluated um, before and after. So we have quite a bit of athletes that come in and some people have their, they do private patients as well. So Mm -hmm. some of the national team athletes both track and football come in and do their rehab there. That's really cool. That also means that you get to meet some cool people. I'm really interested in knowing how you balanced going to school 
and working, especially because you started the program about three months into internship and there is a practical aspect of it. You do have online classes, you do have quiz and exams. So how were you able to balance that? And did you find that in the time where you were working and you were studying, that the team that you are with or the teams that you rotated through were supportive of this um, process for you? Yeah, that's a good question. It took a lot more out of me than I expected, especially since um, my first year I was an intern. The second year, my situation was much better. But that that intern year, it was a lot of late nights. Um, I remember having to do, because we have a lot of assignments, right? Besides quizzes, every three weeks, you have some sort of either assignment, forum discussion, presentation that you have to make. So each course, there's four assignments that you have to hand in, and it's either one of those four. So it's basically eight assignments that you have to do. So I remember having to do quizzes at the hospital. They give you a 24-hour period. You know in advance, so you know like three weeks in advance that you're going to have a quiz, but it's usually open for 24 hours. So while on call, I was there, take half an hour for myself, an hour for myself, and I try to attempt the quiz. It's usually about 40 questions in a 45 minute an hour span. So it, it did take, I was either either focusing on work or I was focusing on school. It was, wasn't really, a, I didn't find a proper balance until second year, right? I was going like one or two weeks doing work and then one or two weeks and I was just trying to study throughout work, preparing for exams. In terms of uh, the formal exam, because at the, at the end of every course, you have multiple choice slash short paper question and you have an OSCE that you have to do, right? Every single one. And the OSCE is usually about six to seven stations um, and it's usually about an hour to an hour and a half, right? It is done verbally, but you have the option of doing it online or you could go in and let it be done in person. Because a lot of people, a lot of people in my cohort was not from Jamaica. I had people from Trinidad, had two people from Belize, I had somebody from Guyana. So it's kind of impractical for them to come to Jamaica just for two weeks. So if you're doing it online, they have specific rules. You need to have a, a certain webcam. You need to have a 360 of your room. Make sure you have no books or material there. Can't have anybody else in your room. And they take that very seriously because of university policies, right? And they will shut you down and tell you that, you know, if they think you're cheating, they will shut you down. They take it as seriously as DM is just, it, it's, it's an online exam. But in terms of me getting, having to work with my team, fortunately enough, I went to, I worked at the university hospital and the university hospital, it being a teaching hospital, they had stipulations for study leave and it's not, it's different from um, the government study leave where you have to apply way in advance. Right, you could apply for study leave just like you apply for sick leave or or vacation leave. You just need to apply like about a month in advance. 
So I usually just go to, usually just spoke to my consultant, um, who most of the time said that needed to be approved by the head of the head of the department. And they, once they approved it for study leave, I was able to take it. And that did not count towards normal vacation leave or sick leave. And I used to normally get like, I'll say six to nine days. The good thing, the exams used to be about a week apart. Like if it's on Wednesday, the other one will be on Wednesday. So I used to probably just try to take three days before and then three days afterwards leading to the to the exam. So about nine days I used to take off and then I go back to work. Really cool. And I kind of wish that government hospitals would also take that into consideration as well because, I mean, there's so many persons from all over. Not everybody that works at UE. Not everybody that's doing a program or studying something can work at UE, get me? Correct. I was I was one of the youngest in my cohort. Most persons were a lot older um, than me. So most of them were either GPs and we had two orthopedic surgeons who was trying to subspecialize in sports medicine. So they did the masters. So those persons tend to have more flexibility with their time. I was just, my situation was just, I was working at the hospital. So I had to try to make do, do with what I had. Makes sense. It also means that you had to tell your team that you were doing a master's. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Everybody. Were they, I don't know if you want to answer this question, but I am going to I ask. Have no, I have no problem. They will. They were very receptive. Were they supportive? They were supportive, right? They were supportive. Amazing. Once, because at the end of the day, as I said, my, my long-term goal is to do orthopedics. So, and because you is a teaching hospital, they didn't have any issues with me doing it. I mean, most were just very impressed that I decided to continue schooling. But at the end of the day, hospital work comes first. So I had to make sure that I did what I had to do. So I kind of had to get more support with my peers, people on my same level. So my interns, um, and then I'll say my senior house officers at that point in time, because once I'm not there, because I'm a junior staff member, who kind of falls onto them. So I tried to strike balance as best as I can try to help them out as best as I can. And they were mostly supportive. I think there are a number of lessons, key lessons to learn from that, you know. I think it's really awesome that team was supportive, but that whole idea of like working as a team with persons on your same level or, you know, just above interns and senior house officer, it's probably going to be one of the, biggest things to help you actually pass, you know, not be too stressed out and actually be able to take an hour away from duty because duty is so unpredictable. You know, it's really is super unpredictable. So that's really cool. Agreed. So we're coming towards the end of it and you've spoken about orthopedics a lot. So we know that orthopedics is the next step for you. One of these steps. Yeah. So you're back in Trinidad. Correct. Now that you've finished sports medicine, what are you looking to do next? 
So November was the formal graduation, but I've actually finished the program in July. So once that finished, and that kind of coincided with the end of my SHO contract, I wanted to do private practice. So I worked at a private practice, both seeing sports medicine-related injuries and seeing normal general practitioner work. But I tried to align myself with the connections that I made throughout the program. And J3, Jamaica Athletic Association, was one of the main ones that I tried to remain in contact with after finishing the degree. And then Dr. Manting, who's the dean, he, he's also the one that kind of leads um, the, the West Indies cricket team. He's one of the, one of the main medical um, supervisors. So we, would, we tend to see a lot of, we tend to see a lot of cricketers coming through the sports medicine clinic. So I tried to keep those two connect. So I was doing a lot of cricket matches and I was doing a lot of athletic or track and field stuff. At the beginning, um, especially in Jamaica, smaller things, they tend to not want to have to compensate you. It's only the bigger events, champs and anything that's happening in national arena, crift or those type of things, they will they will compensate you. But the smaller things, they tend not to, um, unless you are doing a formal proposal where you can you can offer like ambulance care and drugs and tent and a whole actual like medical team with EMTs and stuff. That's a different type of thing. That's management and they'll pay you for that for that contract service. So it's a lot of voluntary work. Um, but I, at this point in time, never really had any issues doing it because you kind of need some hands-on experience as well. All well and good to have certain theories and you could treat patients after injury, but it's kind of good to have things as soon as it happens to kind of know the management. So I was working private practice and then I was still trying to keep my hands wet. So I was doing sessions in accident and emergency. So that was my balance. That was my income earner. And now having come home, and I've, I only came home last week, so it's about a week that I've been home. I'm trying to find that same balance. So I'm working at a sports medicine clinic right now. And uh, they also see general medicine patients, but I'm also doing um, accident and emergency sessions um, in the hospital just to try and keep that area um, uptight and I'm also trying to form relationships and getting to do a couple one or two training sessions with football teams and trying to meet with the people the local persons down here with the different um, associations you know so, so far, I've, I've able to link up with a couple of people from um, TTFA, which is Trinidad Tobago Football Association. And fortunately enough, they, they are one of those that tend to pay for not just football matches, but just training sessions or if they need to see a doctor. So they kind of have you on call. And once they need you, you come out and they'll pay you for your services. So really and truly, 
it's, it's just to strike a balance. And once you have a clientele of people coming in, it, you know, it, it continues. That's really, really cool. I wish you all the best. I'm like so happy that you found this path and that you buck up, buck up. on the degree. Buck up on the degree. Yeah. Yeah. But let me just touch on, let me just touch on, um, so at least we can educate people, what you can do with the degree besides just practical things. Yes. Right? So besides practical things, you can actually teach as well because the program lead, the same lady who I was telling you about, her name is Dr. Brown Calvert, very intelligent person. But her postgraduate um, qualifications uh, is just a master's in sports medicine, right? So after doing that, she started to lecture at the university, both lecturing for the master's of sports medicine and I guess for other smaller programs, if needed, medical school. And I guess she eventually made herself up to um, being the lead. She's not just the lead of the program, but she's actually the head of Mona Academy of Sports, right? So the Mona Academy of Sports has about four or five different degrees underneath it, sports management, sports medicine, the physiotherapy program, and about two or three other degrees. And then they are now introducing, they have a PhD program that they have, and they're introducing an next PhD program as well. I think one is in kinesiology, and the other one they're introducing, I don't want to misspeak, but I know they're introducing a second one. So she's actually head of that entire wing. So yeah, she's been lecturing, I'll say about six, or seven years now. So that's one avenue you could go down. Um, clinical work is another avenue you could go down. And then management, um, similar to how you can do public health and you could go into management, you could go into management in ministry, um, ministry of sports and kind of help lead programs, um, establish programs. Because um, you kind of need that clinical sporting background but it might probably help you if you do some other type of management courses or certificates, project management or whatnot. So at least you can know about the money side of it, right? But those are things that you can do. And then from there, you can use your sports medicine to do other things. I know in the UK, they have a sports cardiology program and the sports cardiology program the prerequisite is having a sports medicine background or a sports medicine degree. So you could go and they teach you how to do echocardiograms, ECGs, and you are a licensed sports cardiologist, which I think we have like two or three in the region. And they are, they are seen, at least I think so, can't say for sure, but I think it's considered a fellowship program in the Caribbean, so they are seen as cardiologists as well in the region, having done the sports cardiology. So that's one thing you can do. If you wish to work in, let's say, the UK, you then need to do the membership exams. So there's a Faculty of Sports and Exercise Medicine exam, FSEM, so you can have those fancy letters after your name. And it's a two-part membership exam. Part one, 
is a two-hour exam, multiple choice essays, and an OSCE. And part two is the same thing, right? Similar to how you do USMLEs or MRCP. And once you have that, then you can um, be a qualified sports and exercise physician in the UK. And they hire sports medicine physicians in the hospital. That's like a feel for them. Um, so they work, you can get jobs as an attending physician or consultant physician in the hospital. That's the next avenue that you can do. In the US, unfortunately, they don't recognize the master's program as adequate sports medicine training. The reason the UK does it because they, in order to be a sports medicine physician, it's a master's program. So they recognize our master's program. In the US, in order to be to do sports medicine, you first have to do either orthopedic surgery, internal medicine, family medicine, or physiatry, or pediatrics as your primary specialty. And then afterwards, you can go and subspecialize in sports medicine. Orthopedic specialization is a little different than the physician own. Um, what we are doing is more physician-based medicine. With orthopedics, they kind of teach you how to how to do more hands-on um, surgical things. So how to do knee and ankle repairs and shoulder repairs. So they kind of zone into those aspects. But they also teach you the physiology and stuff that we went through. So the programs for the physicians are very similar to the master's. These sub-specialization programs from what I've seen and, and looked through and from speaking to the the two orthopedic surgeons that was in my program, they said that it's very similar to if you have gone away, right? But if you have done DM, say in Jamaica, and you want to go and do a sub-specialization in America, you know, there's those boundaries of entry. You have to go and do some extra stuff in order for them to recognize you. So it's kind of easier to just do the master's program and it be a subspecialization program. So yeah, those are the different avenues you can do. Those are quite a lot of avenues though. Yeah. And it's it's really cool to see that it's actually like in the hospital. You actually have it in the hospital and stuff like that. Um, I think it it makes the future for Jamaica, um, especially with our history. I don't know if it's history, but history is the right word. But, you know, our prowess in track right. and field and, right. and, you know, maybe, you know, football for the women at least and netball. <laughs> and, you know, we're a pretty sportsy country. So I can definitely see that these are things that are needed. And that's just so cool. I've learned so much. <laughs> right i'm really hoping that like somebody's listening and they're like oh my god i never even thought about this you know i love sports i could do this you know but thank you so much for sharing all of all of this and just being so willing to have fun i mean i literally messaged you what last week <laughs> last week a couple of days ago yeah for real i was i was away still but that's really awesome i want you to leave us with uh, you know, how we can reach out to you. Because I'm sure even though you've given a huge plethora of information, you know, there is going to be 
so many more questions that persons may have. And, you know, if, if they're like that, Instagram page or email address or anything that, you know, persons can hit you up and be like, I want to know more. So I tend to be kind of active on LinkedIn. So if you want to reach out, my name. You lie. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Mm -hmm. What? LinkedIn? I've never heard anybody go, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to add you on LinkedIn right now. Yeah. My name, Yannick Weeks. You could search me on LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn is a secret sauce, you know. If you want to know anything about everything or who is in what, and, you know, LinkedIn is the way to go. Yeah? You tend to see everybody's qualifications and how they did what. Um, so that's just a little secret sauce. Or you just message me on Instagram. Once you type in Yannick Weeks, it's, it's there. I probably should change it, but it's there. Um, and you could find me. What I want to leave though with you, which we didn't come across, we didn't speak about the cost of the sports medicine program. It's oh yes, you have you actually have to pay for it. You actually have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. So the fee is. Um, it's 1200 US per course and it's 12 courses. So it's around 14,400 US um, for the two years. So about 7,000 per year. So about a little over a million dollars. Um, about one point, one point odd per year that you have to, you might find yourself spending to do it. So it's not cheap, but it's not the most expensive program that mm-hmm. the university offers. So it's something to keep in mind. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay. Like, this was very informative. Um, you definitely, I completely did not even think about how much this costs at all. And it's like, oh yeah, it, it's whatever. Um, but thank you so much. The, the information was, it was a plethora of information. Um, I did not expect to learn this much and be this excited about sports medicine. You know, I, I, to be fair, I do have a love for orthopedics, specifically foot and ankle. And at one point I was like, hmm, are there any podiatry subspecializations? I'm still looking out for that because, you know, I love podiatry and I love foot and ankle medicine. It's just, you know, something I'm, been interested in for a while but there are so many things to like there's so many things out there um i want to thank you again for being a part of this podcast being so willing and just sharing all this information so if you want to get in contact with me you can send me a message in on any platform really you know (laughs) the other day someone told me that they dm me on Twitter, because I answer faster over there than I do on WhatsApp. So if you would like to reach out to me, send me a DM, whether on Twitter or on Instagram at the Lehmans DR. You can send me an email at Samantha at the Lehmans Doctor.com or hello at the Lehmans Doctor.com. And you could simply just go to the website www.thelehmansdoctor.com and send me a message. Thank you so much for listening and until next time.